0: Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone and into something tribal, rugged and real. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I'm Dave Mills, call sign Goose, and with us today, a uh, very special guest. We're extremely honored to have Stephen Mansfield with us today on the podcast. Stephen Mansfield is—he's done TED talks, he's written numerous books. You've—you've you've heard him on the news. Um, some of my favorites. He has written biographies on George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Winston Churchill the list goes on and on. Recently, uh, he wrote Men on Fire, which we'll talk a little bit about today. But going back to a few years ago, one of his earlier books, a great little book called Building Your Band of Brothers has played a very big influential role in Men's Alliance. So Stephen, it is great to have you with us on the Men's Alliance podcast today.
1: Well, you are so kind, and I want to tell you, I'm proud of what you guys are doing. I really am. So you're you're being complimentary and kind to me, but I want to do the same with you. I, you're just doing some great things, and I hope that millions of been follow you and what you're doing. Well,
0: oh, thank you so much. Um, you know, as I look and, and read off some of the titles there about you've, you've written about, we, we could do... We could do, um, a hundred podcasts with you, right? We could do a couple on every book. One of, one of the ones I love is, uh, your book, uh, search for God and Guinness, outstanding yeah, history, yeah. history lesson on, on alcohol and beer and the early church, but, um, you, you know, you've just covered so much ground with your writing and one of the, one of the questions I've just personally been dying to ask you is when you were writing. Building Your Band of Brothers. Um, Was there anything that you were personally seeing or hearing at that time in our culture that made you decide that that book needs to be written?
1: Yes, there were two things that really motivated me. One, um, were the general stats coming out at that time about male loneliness, about male suicide, uh, about how the average, you know, the stat, the statistics that we cite all the time now, or the surveys that the average American man or a man in the West couldn't even name a best friend, couldn't yep. name, you know, you know, the classic question: If you're you're out of town on a business trip and your son got picked up by the police, who would you trust to call, you know, to, to go handle that with discretion? Or uh, if your wife, you know, three in the morning, you're on a business trip, she's splitting around in her 90s, something's happened at the house, the dogs run away, or the pipes are broken. Who would you trust to go over three in the morning and, and handle that with character and morality? Most men had no idea. So that was number one. The yeah. other one, though, was I was I had written Mansfield's book of Manly Men. No brag, but it had blown up, gotten a lot of attention, doing a lot of conferences, a lot of speaking. But I was concerned about something that I saw even among men who wanted to be good men and, and attended, you know, a good man's conference. There was this sort of attitude, or this sort of assumption. They were they were they were wanting to be good. They were devoted, but it was as though they were showing up at these conferences um, to add more stuff to their list. They had to do alone. You mm. know what I mean? You'd show up, you'd hear a speaker. He would talk about what to do in your marriage, or how to take care of your body, or you know uh, how to raise your son. And I could see as much as men were excited to get the information. Ultimately, they thought of themselves as doing it alone, and I could just almost see a little bit of slump in their so- shoulders where they were just adding it to the list—the the 42nd, 43rd thing they had to go home and perfect alone. And I, I believe that noble manhood is a team sport. I, I've gone out of my way to say that I would not be anywhere near where I am. God knows I'm not perfect, but I would not be anywhere near where I am if I didn't have the eyes of other men and the coaching of other men in my life. So that's why I emphasize so much a band of brothers. I can't be the right, the, the, the ideal father I'm called to be. I can't, can't be the best husband. I can't take care of my body. I can't be a noble man without, without a band of brothers who see me in 3D, know what's wrong with me, know when I'm fudging it, uh, know when I'm calling it in. You know, As I've often said, people have heard me say this before. I, I don't want to have to narrate what's wrong with me for you, David, to help me be a better man. Right. I want you to see me. I want you to hear the bitter phone call with my wife or notice that I've gained 20 pounds or notice that the one glass of wine a night's gone to ten, you know, or whatever the situation
2: is mm-hmm.
1: um, without, without me having a narrative. So all that to say, uh, those were the two motivations for me writing that book. The statistical um, disasters we were hearing about in our culture and then even among men who were attending men's conferences and wanting to be good, the sense that they had to go home and protect it alone—that they weren't walking in community—and I wanted to help change that.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that—and I can't remember if if this is something I got from one of your books or from something I've heard you say—but I know it's a line from you that I have uh, shamelessly plagiarized through the years—is uh, <laughs> part of the reason why the traditional model of accountability groups doesn't work is kind of like you just said, if you're counting on me to, to know what's wrong with myself and, and tell you what's wrong with me over breakfast, it's not going to work cause I'm going to lie. And you know, I yeah, think when I heard yeah. you say that, yeah. that just rang true. I've been in those groups, right? Sure. sure. And when when it relies as, as on me done. to do it.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And thank God for them they've been the best that most men have had but they're just not enough yep you got you're like light like, I mean you've heard me say it before but I'll repeat it real quickly you're assuming I'm gonna figure out what's wrong with me you're assuming I'm gonna hang on to it for two weeks you're assuming I'm gonna have the courage to go to that breakfast on whatever morning and over biscuits and, and eggs you know sit there and tell you the truth and then and you're assuming by the way that you've given me advice that that breakfast is all I need no I need guys in my life actively beating up on me confronting me getting up on my grill helping me be a better man and the same me doing it for them. So yeah, appreciate you remembering that because uh, I, it's not that I want to get rid of accountability groups. I just don't want any man thinking that's all there is to it.
0: That's that's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. We've got to just do more. We got to add to it. And your, your point about the suicide rates, that's something that really resonated with me in creating men's Alliance. Um, as I was going through the, uh, the degree program studying to become a counselor I was blown away when I learned that middle-aged men were the leading demographic. I was like, what? No, I thought it would have been like uh, depressed teenagers or something I would have guessed. And then to discover that, no, it's me, it's, it's middle-aged yeah. men with families and mortgages um, that lead the suicide rate. Uh, that's just been such a huge motivator uh, for, for us to bring men out of isolation. One of the yeah, things, and I, and I, oh, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that you know when we start talking about suicide, that puts that really puts the reality into it, doesn't it? We're mm-hmm. not just talking about a man being happier or having a better marriage, more sex, and more romance, or you know, we're not. I mean, all that would all that's important to talk about alone. Don't misunderstand. Yeah. But when you're talking about a man getting to a middle age and having a life that's so empty uh, of what's meaningful to him that he blows his brains out. That starts with the steel into the message that we're trying to bring to men in our generation. So,
0: again, Mm -hmm.
1: that's why I'm proud of you guys, and I'm grateful for what I get to do.
0: You know, in your your new book, Men on Fire, you use the term rust friends. Tell us a little bit about that, because I love it.
1: Yes, it's not a term original with me. Psychologists use it, but I love using it. Uh, You know, what we want you to have are vital friends who are active in your life right now. But when I ask many men, well, who are your friends? Like if I'm just casually driving with a guy to a gig or just meeting him over a book table or something, or just my own buddies, I'll say, who are your close friends? Well, if they if if they say, well, my best friend is a guy who was in my wedding 10 years ago. We talk you know, every, every couple of years. Mm-hmm. That's a rust friend. That's somebody you were close to once, but the relationship's gotten rusty. I'm not saying you don't love him. I'm not saying you don't look forward to maybe getting together for a weekend sometime. But man, if you're if you're just talking to a guy once a year on the phone, again the guy you went to high school with, the guy you went to college with, the guy you were in the military with, uh, the guy who was in your wedding, but you haven't seen him in years, maybe you talk once in a while, that's a rust friend. I don't want any man listening to us to think that that's enough. My 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 buddies from college and weddings and stuff like that, I love them. They don't they can't they can't help me. They only believe about my life what I tell them. They don't know if I'm sitting here weighing four hundred pounds. They don't know if I'm snorting coke up my nose. They don't know if I'm having an affair. Uh, they don't know if I'm a weak, insecure man, uh, raising, uh, living with an angry wife and insecure kids. You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So I, 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 I want. I mean, obviously, keep your old friends. I'm not saying run away from them, but you need to have people who have eyes on you, as the military says. You need to have men in your life who are actively ban- a band of brothers, where there's this free buyer zone I talked about, and where we're helping each other. We're having a lot of fun along the way, but we're helping each other be the best men we can be.
0: So true. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite things about Men's Alliance is is how we are intergenerational, right? When we gather around the fire after our after our workouts, we have men there from 13-year-olds up to I think our oldest guy is I think he's 72 or 73. Um and so you, when you get that going around a conversation around a fire you get guys in their 20s and 30s talking about a problem they're going through and then you'll hear something from a guy in his 50s or 60s saying well here's here's what happened for me when i went through that and here's what i chose here's how that played out and there's just so much wisdom there gathering older men with younger men and not as as some you know Places have a tendency to do se- separate people off by age groups, right? Like a twenty-somethings group, thirty-somethings group.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So, with with that kind of thought, I'm I'm curious, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges right now that's facing our younger men?
1: Well, I believe that at almost every age, <laughs> going to give you a universal answer mm-hmm. first. That the, that the core problem is insecurity about manhood. Mm. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a little bit of a different approach than some people. I don't so much go around blaming our society. I think the biggest problems are what's going on in the souls of men. Yeah. And, um, and now I realize society, society can help shape what's in the souls of men. For the most part, men being insecure about being men, whether that's coming from their own failures or society, usually it's coming from stuff in their own souls. So if I'm talking to young men, um, for the most part, it's insecurity in them about what it means to be a man. Sure, society with its you know railing about toxic masculinity and what have you um, is can contribute to it, but for the most part, it comes from you know not having been fathered, not having been taught what a man is, having the natural insecurity of being a 13 year old man. I when I was 13, I was so insecure. I I mean, just just shaky about everything. Mm. Um, and by the way, that's why I'm proud of you guys for putting the generations together because older generations can help pour confidence and strength into the younger generation and vice versa. But, it, but in my view, the biggest problem for young men is a core insecurity about what it means to be a man and about being that man with a calm, humble confidence. And that's what we're shooting for. So there's the natural insecurity of early teenage, adolescent years uh, but it, but but I'm talking specifically not so much about your dating life or what have you, your body or your skin. I'm talking about just what it means to be a man and how you walk it out. And that's, that's why we need to be in each other's lives so aggressively.
0: Well, wow, that is so good. I love what you said. You said like a calm, natural security, I think is how you said that, and being a man, right? Because I feel like like some of the um the the younger men out there, the teenagers right now, and you in younger twenties, something's um that that vacillate between extremes of the pendulum, right? Like it's either it's either total insecurity and and um, ignorance about what it means to be a man, or this extreme, you know, um, display of bravado, and and really what you're saying is it's when, when you're when you really hit the Nail on the head. It's more, much more of a of a calm, natural security that runs a lot deeper in the soul, without the need for that that big show. That's kind of what I'm hearing.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, the big show usually is compensating for a core insecurity. Uh, because of what I do in speaking to military and being in D.C. and so on, I have friends who are Christian SEALs. Okay, so they're Navy SEALs uh, and they're Christians. I want you to know. They are calm and respectful and humble and gracious
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yes sir and no sir and how can I help you and you don't have any sense that these guys could snap your neck and, with their two fingers, mm-hmm. that these guys jump out of airplanes, you know, land in the sea, hide on the shore and then take out the enemies of our nation. You don't have any sense of that. I've never been with a SEAL who is all, you know, excuse my French, but ballsy and arrogant, pushing people around because they they are calm and they are confident. They have accomplished things. They have trained. Um, and because they're Christians, these guys in my particular group of buddies are Christians. They're connected to God. They know who they are. They know who they aren't. They know they're sinners saved by grace. And so these are guys, you just, you just can't believe the humility and the calmness and the peace and the respect but you don't want to mess with them <laughs> let me assure you these guys have done major stuff mm-hmm. and that is a real example for me it's a real example for me because when i was i played football for a very short period of time uh, mainly high school but the guy i was afraid of was not the guy on the other side yelling and screaming and waving his hands going oh, we're gonna kill you we're gonna whoop you mm-hmm. uh, no it was the calm guy who came over big guy calm shook my hand, well, buddy, hope we have a good game. That was the guy I feared. Yep. <laughs> no, because because he had calm, confidence, and there must have been a reason for it, right? He's been in the weight room. He's been running his laps. He's been learning this place, and he fully plans to iron me out on the field. So it wasn't the guy who's all yelling, screaming, carrying on, pumping his chest. It's the calm, big guy who just goes, well, hope you have a good game. May the best man win. That guy, yep, I kept my yep. eye on the whole game, baby.
0: Oh, that's so, so true. Uh,
1: that's what I want to see, not just in young men, but in all men. And because they're connected to God and they have a strong core sense of what it means to be a man. And they're trying to live that out. So to to make it negative, the cancer on who we are is that we don't know. We don't have that confidence. We don't have that core sense of who we are. We're not connected to God. And um, we don't have a band of brothers. And that's, that's, I think, of course, overall the biggest problem for all of us.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, um, that kind of chest-thumping, um, real real vocal bravado. Uh, Steven Pressfield uh, he calls that fake courage. We've, we've done a podcast on that uh, a few months back. And, and I believe what you're saying, to be absolutely correct, that that real masculinity, real courage, real strength, um, runs a lot quieter because it because it runs with confidence, and a lot of times those people who are making the most noise, they're actually trying to convince themselves, right? Um,
1: yes, they're trying to create an image of what they're actually not, and they know they're not. They're beating at them, so they're being all loud and brash to compensate, so we don't figure out that they're really empty.
0: Mm, wow! So you know, a lot of the speaking that you do and traveling that you do, your audiences. Um, what are you what are you learning or hearing rather what are you hearing from the older men in your audiences is, is their biggest challenges
1: well there's there's two kind of there's two kinds of men that i see in their older years some and this is going to be very simplistic some have built right and some have built wrong mm. so the ones who have built right probably got into this message of of noble manhood earlier in their life they built a band of brothers they let people speak into their life hold up a mirror to them get in their grill um they've got community they've got buddies they're better husbands better fathers um uh, better servants of god better in their profession because they they have this, this this the security of a band of brothers and the healing of their souls and the and the steely strength of being a noble man in, in on their on their interior so they're enjoying the best years of their life as they get head into their 60s and their 70s. Um, they, Those are your most prosperous years. They've probably done well in their business. They've got community, you know, just sitting on the back porch talking one night. This, life's rich. Life's good. Their marriage is great. All the romance stuff that comes with that. Their kids are older now going on with their lives, but they adore their father. I mean, that's a lot of the men I know. On the other hand, you've got the men who haven't built life. They're on their second, third marriage. They've got a lot of big bills as a result, paying alimony forever. Their kids are eh, dicey with them. You know, they might come visit for dinner, but it's not warm. It's not intimate. Um, they don't have a lot of close friends. They're, they're walking alone. They're in danger of being that suicide statistic. Um, and, and some of them sweetly are coming, coming to that, to, to the message we're talking about now, of community and core manhood, and connection to God. Um, and so they're writing themselves, but they still got a lot to deal with because of you know the years they've lived or the seeds they've sown. So uh, I, I, I'm a little bit surprised to find myself saying that it's not like there's just a whole range of options. I see basically two kinds of men, those who have built on the principles that we're talking about. and yeah, they've made mistakes the and they've had divorces or you know problems in their lives, failed businesses or whatever. but they still had community, they still had God, they still had, core the core certainties and strengths and securities of being a man and then those who haven't i mean it's tragic you know living alone in an apartment somewhere uh it's 65 66 you know hard to find a friend all their friends are rust friends um so i i i'm finding that what 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 kind of i'm not saying it haunts me but what definitely makes me want to move in the right direction is knowing some of these friends of mine and some of these men who have just not built right their latter years could kind of haunt it a little bit. So that's, that's, that's how I tend to see it. That's a little simplistic, but that helps me keep my eye on the, on the, on the target here.
0: Oh, well, yeah. You, know, you know, I know we're not supposed to, um, we're not supposed to read the comments on social media, right? <laughs> if you if you <laughs> if you're posting on social media, you should post and, and, and walk away. But if you ever do go read the comments um one of the things that jumps out to me as a theme that a lot of the um kind of like internet trolls like to say is they're really boasting on there they're bragging on there about being loners they're you know i've read a lot of comments when we post anything about you know having a tribe uh having a band of brothers you'll hear people that that are saying i don't need anybody i'm i'm a I'm a lone ranger, I'm a lone wolf, Um, my tribe is me, right? And and you hear this kind of stuff and it, it, it really breaks my heart because I realize like these guys are so far out in isolation and orbit that they don't even, they don't know what they're missing. I feel like a part of this element that we're talking about, about building your band of brothers, finding your tribe, is something that a lot of men don't know that they need until they find it.
1: Yeah, there's no question, and we need to recognize that our society has a stream of that influence. Uh, the Marlboro Man, the Lone Ranger. I am a rock. I am an island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walk alone. You know, the nobles, the nobles, uh, almost noble savage in a sense. But the, you know, a lot of our movies have this guy. I don't, I don't have anybody. I don't need anybody. I walk right. alone. I'm exceptional. Well, that's uh, not how it is in the real world and uh so lone rangers may have made, rep- made reputations but it was communities that settled the american west and built society and built you know accomplished great things that's right um so so the idea that you're going to do it all alone i mean every every, every team sport uh and that that does not diminish a man uh, that doesn't, doesn't mean you're insecure uh because you're part of a team uh it means you're better and so i i love that and i i you know, I've got a band of brothers. Everybody pays attention to what I do knows I got a band of brothers. And I'll tell you what, we are, we love each other passionately, but we are up in each other's grill uh, and helping each other be better. And I, I just couldn't do without it. So, yeah, I think that Lone Ranger thing is a myth uh, that I am a rock, I am an island kind of thing. You know, I'm the master of my soul. I mean, I, I understand it's kind of a, you know, maybe a motivational uh, theme in poetry and literature. It just ain't real. Yeah. It just ain't real. Uh, you're not going to accomplish your best. You're not going to be your best. You're not going to have the impact in the world you're meant to have if you walk alone. I'm reading right now a book called Innovators uh, by one of the one of the really good authors of our time, a guy by the name of Lewis. And he is he is actually making the point that in the rise of the Internet and the technologies that we use, uh, that while the emphasis in the, in the history book tends to be on the lone inventor, the fact is it was collaborations and teams. Mm. Uh, that produced the miracle technologies that we have these days. And I'm really enjoying reading the book. I'm not much of a technologist. I, I don't have that, that, those skills. Um, I do like it. I, I am a historian. So I'm liking reading what he's saying. But it's very interesting that he's saying, yeah, that's a myth um, that all these technological breakthroughs happen with some genius, you know, working in his bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's collaborations, it's teams, it's laboratories, it's universities, it's entire faculties and that just confirms what you and I are saying about manhood.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's interesting that you're reading about it from that perspective. The same the same element, the same theme, um even even when you come at it from that historical innovator perspective, it's it's discovered to be true there. That's that's awesome. So um we are going to take just a quick break and when we come back, we're going to be talking about what do women need their men to be right after this break. Hey, this is Dusty Shadow Parker. I just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all, help us reach more men. We cannot sharpen men into the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God designed us to be without your financial support. Your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast. All right. Welcome back to our conversation today with Steven Mansfield. Um, great American author, historian, and, um, and men's, men's ministry speaker. Um, so Steven, tell us what do our women want us to be or do that, that, that we don't know about?
1: Well, I'll tell you a principle that I, I believe strongly, and that is that weak men make angry women, weak men make angry women. So what you want to be is a secure serving man who walks in his strength, but serves and loves, you know, obviously his wife, his family, et cetera. We're talking about women. Um, But I see it all the time. Weak, insecure men, especially those who are compensating with a hyper masculinity. I may smoke 10 cigars a day, but I'm not much of a man kind of thing. You know, that vibe, that act I was talking about earlier. Um, Women see through it. And they're, they, they become angry. And I think we have a societal angry anger, a societal anger among women about men who are bad men, who are abusers, who are weak, who don't take responsibility, uh, who don't care for wives and children, women and children. Um, and we have, uh, obviously in marriages, you have women who are just fed up um, with the weakness of men. So uh, what women want is a secure a strong man who is a secure and then i use the phrase serving um i i am uh i have a very uh, strong and gifted wife but uh i and i but i'm stronger than she is right i'm, I'm mean that physically and in other ways too yeah and, but but i am tur- turned completely to her it's no big diminishing of My manhood, I do the dishes, I vacuum, I bring the food in, whatever. Uh, How silly would it be for me to go, Well, my version of manhood is diminished by having to vacuum. Well, it's a woman's job to do that. That's just a a small, petty, you know, insecure man making up rules in his home that's just going to tick his wife off. So I, I always throw that word serving in there um I, I i want to be and i think i am to a large extent but i'm not where i want to be fully i am a strong and secure man but i am serving there's not any task in my home there's not anything my wife needs that diminishes me as a man you follow what i'm saying uh and so i think i think that what women want is strength but strength tempered by love and servanthood and i want to say it again weak men make angry women. And that that's huge. In fact, let me just say real quick, um, you, people who read my books know that I live in two cities. I live in DC and I live in Nashville. Well, my wife and I were just moving into a new home when the Nashville shooting happened at Covenant Christian School. And the explosion of anger, and I don't want to get political here, but the explosion of anger in Tennessee, um, having to do with the legislature and guns and so on, Whatever, I don't want to get into a gun debate, but people were upset because basically male legislators weren't taking care of women and children. That was that was the anger vibe. Now, whether that whatever that justification there is there politically for that, the point is there's a cultural force right now of angry women who basically are pointing the finger at weak men. Happens in marriages. Happens in dates. It happens at the high school level. Uh, It happens culturally. And we men need to be aware of it and start fixing this, because frankly, the majority of manhood has been weak and insecure and privilege-grabbing, and has not been strong and serving and loving. And that's the combination you got to have. I'm, i I feel total strength as a man and security in who I am as a man, but there's but I am a servant and I am loving, and that's what children, that's what sons and daughters, that's what wives, the heck, that's what dates to the prom want to see.
0: Yeah, boy, that's so true. And, and, you know, so much of what you just said was serving, serving, serving. And that really just makes me think about leadership. Right. And that makes me think about Jesus's example to us of leadership and what that looks like. And, you know, of course, washing the disciples feet being like such an, an extreme example, it's like in all of our minds of like, man, that's, that's how you serve. And that's what the leader does. Um, I think that so many men feel like they are disqualified from leading, right? Because maybe it's their, maybe it's their past failures, or maybe it's to your point uh, about just insecurity, but for whatever reason, just men are just not leading. They're, they're asleep on the sideline. And I think that what you're saying about that, just frustrating the women, right? Just making them angry. Um, Men need to lead. Right. And, and we need to hear, there's
1: there's no question.
0: We need to be given permission. We need to hear the message more that um, it's okay to not be perfect. You're not going to be just lead anyway. Right.
1: Well, you know, David, if you and I are, let's say we're partnered up in some venture uh, and you are a serving devoted, loving, kind friend and partner. You know what? that that buys a lot of grace from me when if you make a mistake. And, I, and again, if I was that person, it buys a lot of it. In other words, right. if I know you're trying to do the right thing, if I know you're working hard, if I know you're devoted, if I know you're a loving guy and you're committed to me, man, we, we can we can be, uh, you know, we're not going to be perfect. But I'll tell you what, that creates a lot of, uh, I make up a word, spandoflex, I call it. <laughs> what, was the, what was the a word? Of, it's, it's the word I made up, spandoflex.
0: Spandoflex, gotcha. <laughs>
1: Sandox, like it means you know just some elasticity, some ease, some grace, some margin. Uh, in other words, um, yep. yeah, that's that's what we want. The, the here's the here's the principle I want to hang on to for a moment. For many men, what they're basically saying to their wives and their kids is that their version of manhood is so stinking fragile that having to do the dishes, or having to spend time with the kids talking about their life and destiny, or or I don't know, heck, massaging a wife's feet or whatever. Mm-hmm. somehow diminishes them. Well, if you're so dang fragile as a man that that you know vacuuming, or I don't mean to make it about the chores, but just investing yeah. in your family, somehow this diminishes you, that you see yourself like General Patton with a pistol in your hand and it's not that image, it's not going to be anything, <laughs> you're an idiot. And I mean you know, the Greek word idiotes means an unlearned one. You are an unlearned one. You do not know what true manhood is. So but we want our men who are strong and secure, and I use those two words advisedly, loving and serving. Uh, there's not anything in my house so I won't do. It doesn't diminish me as a man. Uh, that's how I love my family. And so I, I, I think that that's, that's what we've got to have, and that's what women want. And I think we can I think we not only have strong and vital children and marriages, but I think we can also uh, help heal this, this bad trend in society. Um, about a reactionary anger towards men, which for the most part is deserved, we have misbehaved, and now we need to fix it,
0: yeah, oh, that's so good um you know as as leaders, you can't whether this is at work, you know or in the military or at home, you can't ask anybody to do something that you're not that you haven't done yourself, right and yeah, exactly everything you're saying i just I just hear that in the back of my mind. I was just watching um Saving Private Ryan, uh, the other night with my son, he had he had never seen it. He's fifteen, and I was like, okay, you've you, you've got to watch this. He, he asked me, it was funny. He was reading something um, about World War II, and he asked me, he goes, Dad, is there like any really good war movies made about World War II? <laughs> of course, I was like, yeah, yeah, son. There's there's quite a few, and uh, so I was like, well, we're going to start off with the best one in my opinion. We're starting off with um, Saving Private Ryan. And there's just this scene in there where the tensions are so high and they've they've just had this falling out amongst their, amongst their band of brothers, uh, amongst their, their own um, squad. There's, they've had a falling out and one guy's about to leave and another guy's about to shoot a guy. And just in the midst of that, the leader, Captain Miller, he just walks over and picks up a shovel and starts digging the hole that needed to be Doug, and they all just kind of look at each other and then they, one by one, they walk over and they pick up shovels and they join them and start doing that. And I've, you know, since I just watched this, it's fresh on my mind about like, that's what a leader does. A leader doesn't say, Hey, you guys go get shovels and s- stop this arguing and go dig. No, the leader just does it. The leader just Absolutely. leads by example.
1: And that is a principle of greatness of manhood and greatness in business. You know, uh, one of the men I've had the privilege of knowing is Dan Cathy. Some of you may not recognize, some of your audience may not recognize that name. Yeah. But the Cathy family owns Mm Chick-fil-A. Well, so this is a fabulously prosperous business, one of the most successful in the country. Um, Obviously, the Cathy's are amazingly wealthy. So what happens? I, I, I am a senior fellow for public leadership at a university here uh in the u.s i'm on campus one week a month the the campus has a chick-fil-a and one day i walk into this chick-fil-a which is not even by the way a full-size chick-fil-a it's a a little smaller campus version and and uh i look back there and there is dan kathy making the sandwiches (laughs) no way and i and I, i i'll tell you i work in a political world so i first thought well this is a little theater you know this is uh you know, he's showing up just to inspire the troops. Right. So I asked the the other guy, I said, how, you know, what, what, what's going on here? Why why stand here?" And he said, "I don't know. He's been here all morning making sandwiches. He'd been there for five hours. It wasn't just a thirty minute let him throw on a hat and apron and and uh, you know have pictures taken. Wow. He's been making sandwiches. And he he wanted to serve. He yeah, he wanted to see how the team was doing and check on all that stuff. He owns the company, but he was actually serving. And I got to tell you, um, once I became aware of that on the campus where I serve." I started asking a couple of questions. Anybody mentioned it? You know, like if I just met an owner of a Chick Fil A on a on a plane or something, I'd say, "Hey, does Dan ever show up?" And he goes, "All the time. Sometimes I have to kick him out. He's been there all day."
0: Oh my uh, god!
1: He loves it. He's working. He's 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 saying, "Well, okay, we'll get the move. We'll make sure that machine's fixed, man. I'm sorry that went wrong." And he's right in the middle of it. And somebody told me, I don't know if it's true, that that Dan tries to get to almost every Chick Fil A in the country. He's his goal anyway. Um, and there are hundreds of chick fil A's, but he says his goal ultimately is to spend at least a few minutes working at every, every Chick-fil-A in the country. Now, you know, that's servant leadership. He didn't have to do any of it. Yeah, it guy is. Who, you know, I mean, we're talking about billionaire family here, um, but he's getting right down there in the grease and the muck and the fries and the cokes and they're cleaning the floor and cleaning the toilets and making the sandwiches and greeting the guests. And uh, it's one of the most fabulously successful businesses in America. And part of it is that at the top is servant leadership and that's a lesson for all of us that's
0: that is incredible leadership for sure um so steven I'm, I'm imagining that there's men listening to this um who you know as we talk about the importance of um you know having that band of brothers of being connected to a tribe and and leading your your family and your your wife from a, a deep secure sense of serving manhood and all these great things there's got to be people listening who feel like, where do I start? Right. How do, how do I do this? I know I'm not there. I know I want to be there, but I don't know how to even start. Give us a, give us a step one. Where do we, where do we go to start reclaiming this biblical masculinity?
1: Number one, and and I'm not saying it just because I feel obligated. Number one, ask God's help. It just, it's just true. The fastest, most permanent, the deepest, and most glorious transformations of men I have seen is when they ask God's help and God responds with power and healing and transformation. Number two is start feeding. What you feed grows. Mm. Find out who the good speakers are. Go on YouTube. Thank God for YouTube. We can learn almost anything we want to learn. You know, John Eldridge. And you guys and the others who are writing great books for men, find out who those guys are, watch their videos, read the books, get subscribed to their podcast, start feeding. What you feed grows. If you're watching more of Netflix than you are feeding on the message of noble manhood, then you're going to have more negative stuff going on in your life than you are noble manhood. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a good movie. I'm just saying, look at your time, look yeah. at what you're doing. Uh, look at where you're devoting your time. Uh, if most of your time is spent in front of the TV. Well, you're not going to be the, the best man you can be. Enjoy some television. I'm all for it. I'm not a prude. Um, but what? how much time are you putting into feeding your soul uh, on the best stuff of noble manhood? And then finally, get into a band of brothers. Yeah. Um, if you go to a church, it's got to be a good men's ministry. And I'm not just talking about being part of a club and going to a breakfast. I'm talking about get some men around you who are who are committed to the great project of noble manhood speak to you get up in your grill coach you there should be some fun and some smack talk and some rowdiness along the way but build a band of brothers and that uh, my little book list it's very inexpensive it's on amazon i'm not trying to sell books but my little booklet will help you uh, do that um, so you got to have three things you got to have god you got to be feeding on the right stuff you got to have good men in your life and that that's that's heading in the right direction.
0: Yeah. How often do we just forget step one is, is pray. I know that I tend to be impulsive and rush off uh, as soon as I get some idea and your advice is, is spot on step one. We got to stop and pray first. And it's, it's amazing like how often we want something so badly. And then when somebody asks, well, have you prayed about it? You just feel silly. You're like, Oh no. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I'm not I'm not objecting to your language, but I don't even use the word pray with men. I think some men for some men, they, they, their background in prayer and what they see mm-hmm. of prayer, maybe from some clergy is, oh, Lord, we invite thee even verily, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and I some guys just have a screwed up image of what prayer is. So just talk to God and ask help, like turning your older brother and saying, hey, Tom, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me here? Just I mean, literally that way we'll get it started.
0: Man, that's um, such good there's, advice. There's,
1: yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if it starts that way, I think they'll be rocking.
0: Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of a uh, cultural baggage attached to that word that, that may, may actually be distracting people when maybe we just say, talk to God and, and that kind of clears, clears the air. Well, exactly. so exactly. I was wanting to ask you what book you are currently reading, but I think you already answered it when you told us about innovators.
1: Yeah, Innovators by Michael Lewis is what I'm reading right now. And it's uh, partly because I'm involved in some things regarding uh, Web3 and Internet stuff that is not my natural territory, so I wanted to get a little bit of background. Uh, But it became a real lesson about, like I said, about um, collaboration and teams and how we need them and how innovation happens that way.
0: That's great. So we'll put a link to that in our show notes. And also, I just wanted to say that if you have sons, you've got to get – Mansfield's book of manly men. So, um, little background on that. My son Luke, who is now um 19, almost 20, he was reading that book I want to say about 6ish years ago. I think he was probably about 13 and he read this book. So, he read it and then you talk about powerful is when your 13-year-old son reads a book and then tells you you should read it. You're going to read it, right? So then I read it, and then I've read it out loud together with my younger son. Right, so guys, I just want to tell you get Mansfield's book of Manly Men. We'll link that in our show notes. It's a it's a beautiful book, hard copy. It's the kind you want to have on your coffee table or on your bookshelf, and it's full of uh, just great short stories and true tales, and uh, you know, just epic vignettes from from different historical men's lives that we want to emulate so i highly recommend that one as well and we'll link it in our show notes so last question for you uh we'll go superficial here what's your favorite guy movie
1: <laughs> uh, my favorite guy movie is uh sea biscuit ah. and uh i like it a lot of people don't think of it as a guy movie they think more of like you know other other films but um, and and you know some of the some of the some of the tombstone and some of those kind of things, uh, and I certainly love some of the great lines of those, you know. Um, but Sea Biscuit is about the messed up people making each other better, all around this horse, which is called Seabiscuit, which to me symbolizes the cause. Uh, so they, you know, you got the owner, you got the trainer, you got the rider. Got some other people involved. They've all got problems. They've all got debilitating situations, um, but they but they get committed to this horse, and and then the very last line of the movie has the the writer who's the narrator saying, um, "We made each other better. We made each other better." Wow. And that's that's why I I, mean, I get moved by that. It's not because I'm so much into horse racing, although I think that my friend Lauren Helen Brand wrote a beautiful book called Seabiscuit, and the movie was based on that.
2: Yeah. but it's
1: because I see in this movie um and in, in the truths around sea biscuit men who lost their hearts to a cause and helped each other get better and there are great lines in the movie the, the owner at one point turns to the rider and says what are you so mad about we know a little bit about the writer's background and how he was abandoned and so on and what are you so mad about well that's that's the question that we need to ask almost every man what, what's the anger in your life anyway i could go on and on i can, I can preach movies for
0: years. Oh man, that is such a good one.
1: one. My favorite man movie is Seabiscuit.
0: Yeah. I love it. And now you made me want to go rewatch it. Um, a group of broken <laughs> people helping each other. That's, that's men's Alliance right there. So, um, guys, we need to, we need to owe it to it. We owe it to ourselves to check out Seabiscuit. Um, if you haven't seen that, do that. And, um, steven just thank you again for your time this has been an amazing conversation i've really enjoyed it and i look forward to um you know putting this out there for for our guys to listen to and also i just want to formally and officially invite you to join us um around a fire for a men's alliance uh whenever you are in the uh, the richmond area and i know you're in dc a lot we've got um, one right by you there we got one in fairfax Um, so we'd just love to have you join us sometime at one of our tribes. And we appreciate what you're doing for men so much. Thank you so much again for your time.
1: Well, you're very kind, man. It's been great to be with you. And again, I'm proud of what you guys are doing.
0: Awesome. Well, guys, that was Steven Mansfield. Great author. Check him out. We're putting a link to his website and his podcast and his book. And I look forward to seeing each of you around the fire. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance podcast. Find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com, or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. And send us your questions or comments to info at com. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon.